Well, good morning to everyone. Good to see you. I always like when Sean does announcements because uh, when he's announcing someone, he always looks at where they sit, usually. <laughs> that way you always know where somebody sits by wherever Sean's looking. He, he knows where everybody sits and where everybody's supposed to be and knows when they're not here and when something's wrong. So uh, I'll always like when he does announcements so we can see that. Um, this morning, I want us to uh, do, oh, he asked about resolutions. Mine ended yesterday, just so you know. Uh, and if you want to know what that was, I'm not going to tell you, but yesterday involved two Ralph's donuts, so you can imagine what that resolution was. Uh, twist, to be exact. Hot twist. Nothing better. So if by me just saying that is going to ruin yours this afternoon, so be it. So it just is what it is. Um, this morning, I want us to uh, talk about um, something pretty simple. Uh, things that we thought or people thought or think is in the Bible, but it's not. Take, for example, cleanliness is next to godliness. You ever heard that? That's not in the Bible. Uh, I think taking a bath is a good thing. Uh, I don't know if it makes me closer to God, but it's not in there. Uh, God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard anybody say that? Not in there. Uh, not in those words. Um, you can even, and I almost thought about putting this in here, but that became, most of these may become a whole lesson themselves, but one of them was, uh, you know, I, and I say this sometimes, is that God won't put more on you than you can bear. You ever said that? You ever heard that? I've said that a lot, and I use uh, 1 Corinthians as the example of that. God, you know, doesn't put anything over that we can't overcome. But we stop there, and we think that's what that means. God won't put any more on us than we can bear. But I don't believe that's what that verse is saying. That verse doesn't say that God, uh, that there's not going to be anything we can't bear, because He does. He does put things we can't bear. But it says He provides a way of escape for us. We can't bear it, but with His help, we can. I can't do it without it. And I think sometimes by saying that, God won't put more on me than I can bear I start thinking I can do things that I can't do. There's a lot of things that's happened to me in my lifetime. I couldn't overcome them if I didn't have God. I couldn't have got through them without God. Um, so we've got to be careful. And the whole point of this, I hope this lesson is to get us to realize it may be simple phrases. It may be simple things that we say, but they can have some devastating consequences if we're not careful because we can start believing something that uh, that's not really there. Take, for example, that was read just a few moments ago. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. We always hear it, spoil, uh, spare the rod, what? Spoil the child. Bible doesn't say that. Bible doesn't say spare the rod, spoil the child. But we think that. The Bible says spare the rod, you hate the child. Or some version says you set out for their demise. In other words, you're not correcting them. You're not directing them. You're not loving them because you're hating them. Because if you love them, you'd want the best for them. So see, we'll say things and think they're in the Bible, but they're not. And we've got to be careful with that. Uh, I was talking to uh, Chris Mayberry before. he was. I guess he's back in the box working the, the live stream. And he was wanting a title for the lesson, and that's what I told him. It's going to be things we thought were in the Bible. He said someone told him one time that uh, he didn't know how he could believe in the Bible because the Bible says women have to walk two steps behind the men. 
He said, he, he said, that's not even in the Old Testament. He said, that's not in there anywhere. That's, that's not in there anywhere. And I thought, well, I should have used that today. That had been a good one. But I thought, no, that needs to be the one things that should be in the Bible, but not. So, uh, ow, yeah, that's right. Actually, when I thought I was going to say that, I thought I'm going to be like Jeremy Kirby. I'm going to say things like Jeremy Kirby does. Because Jeremy Kirby can say some things, and I think, Amber's going to kill him for that. <laughs> So uh, I thought I'd get that in. But there are, there are things that we say. And I'm going to start out with a few simple ones. We think they're simple, but they're, they can have more consequences than we think. The first one, uh, what kind of fruit did uh, Eve partake of? You always hear, they ate, the, they ate an apple. They ate an apple. But the Bible doesn't say that they ate an apple. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Now you may be saying, what's the difference? Apple's a fruit, so why can't you just say, you know, apple? Well, there's a lot of kind of fruit. I don't know what kind of fruit it was. Do you? The Bible doesn't say what kind of fruit it is. And you say, Ronald, oh, this is nitpicking. What's wrong with saying it? Should I correct every single person that says it? Should I... But we really got to think, does it matter when it comes to Scripture that we say what's in the Bible and don't say what's not? Because if we can assume that it was an apple, I can assume a lot of things. Even the very conversation that, that uh, Eve had with Satan. Remember when he said, they said, well, uh, God said we couldn't eat it nor touch it lest we die. He said, you will not surely die. He twisted what God said. Eve even twisted what God said. So does it matter whether we say what it says or not? Eve said, God said we couldn't eat it or touch it. God didn't say anything about touching it. I don't know. They could have swung, hung a swing on it for all I know and, and swung and had a good time under the tree. God didn't say anything about that. He said, don't eat the fruit. But what he did say, you will surely die. Satan said, you will not surely die. So it does make a difference if we do it. Now what if we just say things like this and keep saying things like this Pretty soon, we're just going to start thinking anything's in there. We're just going to start assuming because somebody says it, that's what it means. And when it gets into things, I, I kind of put these down, and at the, the first of it, I put things not so serious. I don't know if it's, I believe it may be pretty serious. Because when we start changing something that's in the Bible, I think that does make a difference. I think that can be serious to us. Well, take for example... Three wise men. You know, we just went through Christmas. You always hear it now. I, I tried to narrow us down because there's a lot about Christmas we could say. But you always see when you see, uh, uh, if anybody does some kind of Christmas play, anything anybody talks about uh, Christmas, you see any nativity scenes, it's always three wise men, three wise men. We always hear three wise men. But what, what does the Bible actually say? Matthew 2, beginning at verse 7, says, Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the stars appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, and, uh, Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
Then being divinely warned in a dream, they should not return to Herod. They departed from their, uh, their own country another way. Now, there, there are several things that we can, we can get out of this. We, we've got to make sure that we understand. Every time we hear, uh, uh, hear different things, we see different things, every time about Christmas you, you hear a lot of different things. But when it comes specifically to the wise man, it never says how many wise men there was. I mean, think about that. You say, well, why does that make a difference? We can assume that there was because they brought three gifts. Does it mean each one of them brought a gift? What if one of them brought three gifts and the other two just standing there? What, I mean, we don't know. We don't know. Or, or 15, all we know is it was plural. There was at least two because it says wise men. That's all we know. We don't know that there were three. You say, well, what does it matter? It's, they, they brought in gifts. Well, does it matter? What else is there? Matter of fact, you can take the wise men out of that whole scene because Jesus was probably about two years older, a little older when they came anyway, and he's already in a house. So, you, I mean, see how one thing can lead to another? We could talk about his birth. We could talk, I mean, there's a lot of things that we assume the Bible says that it doesn't say. You may think, well, Ronald, that's, but that's what the world believes. That's what you see in every, uh, 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 you know, you hear in the songs. That's what you see on TV. That's what you see in department stores. That's what you see in people's lawns. That's how it is. Well, it may be like that in the world, but is that what the Bible says? And we've got to make sure, we've got to make sure we think about these things. We can get called up in this. We can get, you know, I don't know what extent we need to correct people. You know, I, uh, I had someone one time, I left the congregation, and they gave me a plaque. And this individual had been going to church probably, I don't know, at least 20, 30 years, I assume. But they gave me a plaque, said, we're going to miss you, and, and all this. It was a really nice plaque, but at the top it said, to the pastor. I wasn't an elder. I was the minister. But they gave me a plaque says to the pastor. I didn't know, I was nervous. I didn't know what to do. Do I correct them? Do I tell them, okay, you spent money on this, you spent time on this, I can't accept it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm not what you say I am here. And one, you ought to know better if you're going to church that long. You know, uh, and I, I've heard other people say, and I, I try to correct them, uh, uh, are you the pastor at such and such congregation? Are you one of the pastors? Are you do this. You know, I, I find myself trying to correct people. Then I'm like, well, should I just let it go? Should I just, you know, people just don't know. And we, we find ourselves in this situation. And they're uncomfortable situations. You know, around Christmas time, people feel good. People get caught up in the motions. People get caught up in everything. And, and they know that you go to church. They know that you're a Christian. They know that you believe in God. They know that you believe in, in, in Jesus. They know that you're following Him. And then... They look at you like, you're correcting me on the Christmas story? You don't believe in the Christmas story? You don't believe, you know, it's uncomfortable. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that it's not. But we have to make sure if we're saying something or if we're believing something, it's what's in Scripture. If it's not in Scripture, I can't teach it. I can't tell somebody that's the way it is. I can't just go along with somebody because I don't want to spare myself from the uncomfortable conversation. We, we've got to make sure if it's in there, we say it. If it's not, we say that it's not. We believe that it's not. And like I said, there was a whole lot when it came to Christians, but I, I narrowed it down kind of to three wise men. Another one maybe we don't think too much about. 
It says, Now the Lord had prepared, this is Jonah 1.17, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Matthew 12 and verse 40, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What kind of fish was it? A whale. You always see pictures of a whale. Everybody says it's a whale. A whale's a great fish, so what does it matter? Well, it doesn't say whale. It says a great fish. You know, and you say, well, it's got to be a whale or it couldn't swallow them. I think God can make a fish that swallow a uh, I mean, I'd say there's probably, I heard there's catfish at the bottom of Del Hollow Down probably uh, big enough to do that. I don't know. It may have been a whale. Probably was a whale. I, I have no idea, but the Bible doesn't say. So I can't assume something that God didn't say. Now, this sounds trivial. It sounds like you're nitpicking. It sounds like you're narrow-minded. It sounds like you're just trying to pick a fight. All these things, but here's where it comes down to, especially in our culture today. When everything is my truth, my truth, this is my truth, this is what I'm saying. This is, it doesn't matter what I think, it doesn't matter how I feel, it doesn't matter what I assume. All that matters is what is truth. I can't deviate from what truth is. I can't assume, even if it's something that we consider a little minute thing. What's wrong with teaching little kids it's a whale? Whale's a great fish, it means the same thing. No, I think there's big fish that aren't whales. I think there's great fish that aren't whales. And we just need to be careful of how we say things. That's what I'm trying to say. Because when we start doing this and we fall into this trap, one thing can lead to another, can lead to another, can lead to something bigger and bigger. But I really don't know. I hate to even put it in terms like that because is there anything small about saying something God didn't say? Is there anything small with assuming something's in the Bible that's not really there? I, I don't think it is, and I think we need to, need to be careful. Money's the root of all evil. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever said that? Well, you know why. They're, they've got money, and that, that's trouble. The uh, Bible says money's the root of all evil. Does the Bible say that? 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in, the, in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Does it say money is the root of all evil? It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Actually, how can something material, how can that be evil? There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with a dollar bill other than it don't go far now. <laughs> you know, I... I can lose my soul for a dollar, same as I can for a million dollars. You know, I can save my soul by having a dollar and using it well, just like I can for a million dollars. has nothing to do with the amount. There's a lot of very wealthy Bible characters that were faithful to God. And we think it's just a little slip. You know, money's the root of all evil, or the love of money is the root of all evil. Just a word difference. But remember what Satan said? God, God said you will not surely die. You think it made a difference that he changed it? Think it made a difference that, that, that he didn't say exactly what God said? Do you think when we're telling someone about salvation that it makes a difference exactly what God said? We've got to think about this. 
you know, I, you know, I, as I was kind of going through these, and there, there were a lot of, of things I could use, I guess. But as I was thinking these, I was kind of using things that I feel like, on some extent, some of these I've used myself and didn't realize it or just kind of skipped over it and just went along with it. And then I get to thinking, have I caused any damage because of that? Have I influenced someone the wrong way? Have I influenced my thinking because that's the way I've always heard it? Or that's the way that, that uh, maybe I've always believed it. Because Have you ever been studying with someone in the Bible and they'll say, well, I didn't know that was in there. I, di I didn't know it said it like that. This is how I've heard it. It's because they listen to what somebody else says instead of searching the scripture to see if it was the way that God said it or not. You know, that's what we were talking about this morning when it comes to naming on, on obeying the gospel. We've got to make sure we're doing what God said, not what we think he says or not what we think he should have said. But it's actually what he said. And here, once again, is proof of it. You know, many people believe money is the root of evil, and money's not. It, notice he goes on and says, uh, for their, it's a, a snare to them because of their greediness. It, it's what I think about money. When money becomes that important to me, when I use the, uh, money for, for things that I shouldn't, when I do these types of things, that's where it comes, that love of money. Because guess what? If I've got the love of money... I don't have the love of God because that's what's important to me. That becomes my idol. That becomes what's, uh, uh, what I strive for, what I live for, that greediness of wanting more, of wanting more. So the love, uh, money is the root of evil, is not in there. Now, uh, what about a, some more that I think leads to a little more, well, I'm not even going to say it like that. I think they all lead, can lead to devastating consequences, but another one. You ever heard someone say, you can't judge me. You can't judge me. Anybody said that to you? You ever said that to somebody else? You can't judge me. The Bible says you can't judge me. They'll even quote Matthew 7 and 1. Judge not that you be not judged. So it's in there. It says don't judge me. No. Matthew, judge not that you be not judged is, is not what he's saying. Is the way we take it. Let's look at the full verse. Look at verse 2. For with what judgment you judge you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That's what he's saying. So when someone just takes part of a verse and says, that's what the Bible says, you know, you can't judge me, and then go to judge not that you be not judged, he doesn't say you can't judge me. He doesn't say that I can't judge you. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying it's the attitude, the measure, the standard in which I judge a person. That's, that's what I can't do. Matter of fact, Matthew 7 is full of things that I have to make a judgment on. He talks about false prophets. I'll know them by their fruits. I don't know them unless I judge their fruits. I don't know them if I'm not judging their actions. That's why Matthew or John 7 and 24 says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Do not judge according to appearance. That's the judgment I can't do. But people do this. This is a defense mechanism. And see, sometimes we assume things are in the Bible or we want things to be in the Bible for various reasons of what's going on in their life. I think this particular one is because people are defensive. I tell you, if, when somebody questions me, my family will tell you my first response is defense. I'm going to defend first and foremost. I'm, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to argue it. I'm going to do even you know because it, it takes me a little bit to think about it to think okay you know one I'm like don't have, don't question me 
Well, don't, don't question my actions. You, you can't prove this or you can't do this. Or, you know, all this is going through my mind and sometimes coming through my mouth. And then I have to think, okay, what is it here? It takes me a little bit to, to get back to that, to get back to where I need to be. And I think that's a lot of people's response is defense. We don't like to be questioned. We don't like someone questioning what we're doing. We don't want someone, you know, talking about our business and telling me that I've got to do this or do this or I'm not doing this well enough. It, it's, it, you know, it, it goes against our pride. So people will use don't judge, you can't judge me, and try to go to this to say that that's in the Bible to defend whatever action it is they're doing that's not right. We can't do that. See, when we start trying to change something or we try, start trying to assume this is what the Bible says, and we do that because we don't read the whole verse. Sometimes we take it way out of context. We don't read the whole verse to see. Uh, that's what I was talking about with uh, um, God doesn't put any more on you than you can bear. If you just read the first part of that verse, that's exactly what you would think. But the second part talks about our, alliance, our relying on God, that God is what gets us through it. The reason I can bear it is not because of me, it's because of God. So see, I can get a misunderstanding of what my relationship is with God if I don't truly know what the Bible says. Just like here, I, my relationship with other people, my actions can be uh, skewed because... I'm not fully doing what the Bible says. I've got to be careful of how I judge. You know, if I judge harshly, when God doesn't judge harshly, guess how I'm going to be judged? He's going to use the same method on me. You know, if it, it, would I want God to judge me based on how I judge other people? That's going to be a hard one. I, I wouldn't want him to because I, I usually have a, a, a first judgment. And then that person has to work to prove me wrong on it. It's usually how it works. And we've got to be careful with that. But again, that's just a, a, another one that's not, uh, that's not in there. Here's another one. That one people do out of defense. I think people do this one out of comfort. Some people will say when, when their loved one passes on, they'll say and they'll do, be doing something in their life and now there's something going on. Or I, I tell you, I've heard this at weddings before. And they'll be in the wedding. They'll say, I wish my mom could have been here. My grandparents could have been here. They said, don't worry. They're looking down on you. They're watching you. They're, they're looking out for you. We want to believe that, don't we? We, we, we want to think that. And this sounds harsh. This is, this is one that brings us comfort. You know, the, don't worry. They're in heaven looking down upon you now. They see everything that you're doing. That should bring you comfort. I don't know that that would bring me comfort. I don't know if I want my loved ones looking down on me and seeing everything that I do. I mean, really think about that, if that was really true. And could it be heaven for them? Could it be paradise for them if they were looking down and seeing us in sin or seeing us hurt or seeing us go through a trial or seeing us, somebody doing... You think that would be heaven to them? You think that's paradise? Seeing their family members suffering? Seeing them going through a trial. See, we don't realize what we're saying. We say things in the moment to want to bring comfort to us. But when we really think about it, would it bring comfort? But we say that. We could get into guardian angels and things of this nature. But 
But I hear people say a lot, especially at the funeral home, I've heard it quite a bit. People say, well, they're, they're looking down on you now. They're, they're helping me through this. Let's think about this just a minute. One thing we've got to understand, the dead do have memory. There's no doubt that the dead have memory. Look at Luke 16, beginning at verse 27. It says, then he said, this is the uh, rich man, uh, then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him, talking about Lazarus, this is a rich man, he's talking about Lazarus to Abraham. He said, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that uh, he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. This rich man had memory. He knew he had five brothers. He, he wanted Abraham to go back and, and preach to them. Abraham tells them, they've got Moses and the prophets. If they won't hear them, they're not going to hear one even if they come for the grave. So it, it tells us uh, uh, several things here. But one is, he couldn't go back. These people say that they can talk to the dead and, you know, oh, I've lost my car keys. Can you ask my dear departed uncle where he left car keys? And they tell if he can't come back to save his soul, he can't come back to tell you where the car keys are. But also, it tells me they have memory, but he couldn't look down and see what they're doing now. He just knew he had five brothers. He, he knew they were going to end up in the same place because they were living like he did. That's the last recollection he had of them. He had memory of that. Look at Revelation chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God, for the testimony which they held. They cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? These martyrs had recollection of what had happened to them, but they don't know what's going on now. Notice what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 9, beginning at verse 5. For the living know that they will die. But the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. Now notice what Solomon is saying. He's not saying that the dead don't know anything that they're in like a sleep. He's talking about in this realm. You can see that that's what he's talking about. They, they know nothing about what's going on now, not anything under the sun. All we know here on earth is we're going to die. We know that, but they have no knowledge of it now. They've already gone on. What's going on here now is not in their, their vision, not in what's going on with them, nor should it be. I mean, think about this life. Would you want to be reliving this life? Over and over again, seeing what's going on with your loved ones, seeing, well, of course we wouldn't. So we've got to be careful what we say. The Bible doesn't say that they're looking down on us. But the Bible does say they don't know what's going on here. That sounds harsh, and we don't like to think that. But when you really think about it, God knows exactly what he's doing when it comes to that. I wouldn't want him to and, and see them, them see me suffer or things of this nature. Then you have individuals that talk about the rapture, the signs of the times. You ever heard anybody talk about that? We hear that a lot. Oh, that's just the signs of the times. You see what's going on in Israel now. See what's going on in Palestine. You see all these wars going on, these rumors of wars. It's just the signs of the times. Is that what the Bible says? You know, the, the rapture's about to begin. There's going to be the tribulation. There's seven years tribulation. There's going to be the thousand-year reign. There's, going, there's a lot that's associated with this, but mostly what you hear is the signs of the times. Is there really a sign of the times? Notice, first of all, rapture. Here, rapture means a quiet snatching. A quiet snatching. And here's where they get the verse they get it from. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. 
Then we who are alive and remain shall be called up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we shall always be with the Lord. I asked somebody one time, where do you get the rapture? It doesn't even say rapture in the Bible. Well, here's what it is. This is what this means. We're going to be called up. The Lord's going to snatch us. That's what that is. It's going to be this quiet snatching up. In the world, we've seen movies left behind and all this. The world's not going to know where everybody went. Cars are going to be you know, driving off in cliffs and in the ditch because nobody left to drive them. And this, it's going to be all this kind of mess. So they say there's going to be this quiet snatching. The thing is, did they go back and read verse 16? It says, For the Lord himself would ascend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That sounds pretty loud to me, does it you? I think this is probably going to be the loud, loudest event we've ever going to see in our lifetime. I think it's going to be pretty loud because everybody's going to hear it. You ever had a, 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 a child practicing an instrument in your house? And you want to tell them, boy, you're doing good. But what you actually want to do is take that instrument and bust it up against the wall because it sounds horrible, right? But not everybody in the neighborhood can hear it. And I didn't mean anything particular about your guitar, Brett. Sorry about that. Uh, not that everybody could hear it, right? But this they're going to hear. Everybody's going to hear it. It's not going to be some quiet snatching. Then we could go to Matthew 24. I just want to read a few things of this when it comes to sign of times. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them away. So also will be coming of the Son of Man. He said, you're not going to know when it's going to be. So what signs and times are they? Well, they go back in Matthew 24 when it's actually talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and they see all of these signs when there's going to be wars and rumors of war. Matter of fact, that's not even a sign of destruction of Jerusalem. When you think about it, they, that's what people use today for the, 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 end, uh, the end of times and you can't use it for either one because he says when you hear rumor, uh, wars and rumors of war, the time's not yet. So that's not what's going to be. Actually, it says when you see the abomination and desolation on, uh, uh, coming, going to surround the city, Mark tells us it's when the armies surround the city. He's talking about the structures of Jerusalem because he goes through and says, there's going to be some on the uh, rooftop. Don't go back in your house. Some going to be in the field. Pray it's not in the winter time. Pray that you're not pregnant. What does all of that matter if it was the end of time? Would it matter if you're pregnant? I mean, I, 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 my daughter's expecting my next grandchild in, in February, which I don't think she'll last that long, but in February. So what if Jesus comes back now? Does that mean there's no hope? How ridiculous does that sound? It talks about people running to the mountains. What good will it do? Revelation tells us you can go to the mountains and say, follow me, but that's not going to do you any good. But if it was destruction of Jerusalem, it would make a difference. Because if you was pregnant, you couldn't run very fast. If it's wintertime, it'd be hard. If it says pray it's not on the Sabbath. Why? They locked the gates on the Sabbath. How are you going to get out? So see, it makes sense that it was that, but we just assume. I had a conversation, several conversations with a lady at work over this very thing. That's what they were studying at their particular, particular place she went to, to Bible study. And I was talking to her about this. She said, I've never seen that before. Why wouldn't you have seen this before? All she's heard is the signs of the times. Just the signs of the times. And that's what we think uh, sometimes. Uh, let's do, I think we've got time maybe for one more. Uh, what about the sinner's prayer? You ever heard anybody say that? Just say the sinner's prayer. And I, I, that's what I was pulling up a while ago. Hope y'all didn't think I was on the phone. 
Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you died for my sins. Right now, I turn from my sins and open the door of my heart uh, uh, and lie. Open the door of my heart and lie. Lord Jesus, I confess that I have sinned against you, and I ask that you forgive me for all of my sins. And this is there's different versions of the sinner's prayer. And you hear that a lot. Some Bibles actually in the back of them, certain ones printed, they'll put little things that's got the sinner's prayer in it. You talk to different people in the religious world, they talk about the sinner's prayer. Where will you ever find the sinner's prayer? Now, they get it from uh, Acts 2 and verse 21. It says, and Peter was saying this, he said, it shall come to pass that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. They said that's what's calling on the name of the Lord is. And that, that's the center of prayers. You just call upon the name of the Lord. And then people now have added things to it. But if that's the case, notice Acts 2.38. Then Peter said to them, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, he, he did this in response to a question they had, What shall we do to be saved? If, if he'd already told them, Call upon the name of the Lord be saved, if that's what you, all you had to do, he would have said, do what I've already told you to do. Why would he say anything else? He didn't tell them to do that. He told them, if you want to be saved, this is what you do. That's what calling on the name of the Lord is, obeying God. It's not some sinner prayer to recite. Notice uh, with me in Acts 9 and verse 11. This is talking about Saul uh, during his conversion. It says, So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire of the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, Behold, he is praying. This is what uh, uh, God is saying, uh, Jesus is saying to uh, uh, Ananias about going to uh, Paul here, or to Saul at that time. Acts 22 and 16, when, when Paul was giving his recount of this, he said, And now why are you waiting? This is what Ananias told him. Arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. I tell you, if anybody was saying a sinner's prayer, would it have been Paul? He was there praying blind for three days praying. Like one preacher I heard say, what Ananias tell him, get your sorry self up and obey God. He didn't tell him, well, oh, you're praying, I didn't even need to come to you. I didn't even need to come do anything. You must be saying the sinner's prayer. You've been earnestly down here praying for three days. If it didn't work, if Paul couldn't pray his way through, you think I can? So is there a sinner's prayer? No, there's just obedience to God. And, and there's others. I mean, there's, there's faith only. There's all roads lead to heaven. All this comes down to this same thing, even the sinner's prayer. When we get these little ones like the apple, the well, the love of, uh, uh, or that money's the root, not the love. All, when all these little things start adding up, then you start getting, well, this is how I think you should obey the gospel. This is what I think the Bible says to obey God. So you, we, we got to thinking all these other little things that we thought the Bible said. Now we think this, and our soul's at stake. Are we going to do what God says to do? Or are we going to do what I think we should do? Are we going to do what God says to do or what I've heard He says to do? I've got to hear the Word, have faith in the Word, and believe that Word, repent of my sins, confess that Jesus is the Son of God, be baptized for the remission of sins, Arise to walk in newness of life and walk in the light as He is in the light. That's what God says to do. Romans 10, 17, uh, Hebrews 11 and 6, uh, Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Luke 13 and 3, 
Acts 2.38, 1 John 1.7. That, that's what he says. Are we going to assume what he said? Or are we going to think, well, it's in there somewhere. That's what he said to do. Just say a sinner's prayer. He just said all roads lead to heaven, that we're all going to the same place anyway. He said all you got to do is have faith only. And faith only is in the Bible, but it's condemned. <laughs> we've, we've truly got to know. It's not that hard. It's simple like we're talking about naming in Bible class. It's simple. We just make it more complicated than it is because we start adding to, we start taking away, we start changing what God says instead of truly what He says. So I asked you this morning, do you want to believe what it says in the Bible?